What's poppin' everybody? This is Logan Murdoch from Real Ones, and I have some big news to share. On Saturday, February 18th, the Ringer NBA show will be hitting the road for All-Star Weekend for a live show in Salt Lake City. You heard that right. We are taping the pod in front of a live audience in Salt Lake next month, and we want you to join us. Pull up on us at the Stateroom in the heart of downtown Salt Lake. You can grab your tickets now at thestateroom.com. That's thestateroom.com. Doors open at 9 o'clock. Show is at 10. It's going to be a 21 and up event. Come hang with the gang and chat. Mid-season updates, draft preview, and even have a Q&A with us. Space is limited, so grab your tickets while they last at thestateroom.com or click the link in the description of this show. Hope to see y'all in there. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older. 18 and older in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. What's poppin'? Logan Murdoch here, Raja Bell there. Raja, how you doing, bud? I'm good. A little earlier record today. I got a little more energy. Let's let's get it poppin'. Let's get it poppin', man. So last uh last podcast we were we were uh talking about LeBron and the Warriors and all these things. And um I remember there was in the rundown a question either from you or Kerm or Kai about the uh the Jokic Embiid matchup from over yeah. the weekend. And I wasn't able to, I'm in big writing mode right now, so I wasn't able to fully see that in the moment. But I was watching a lot of highlights from that uh, that Jokic-Embiid uh, mashup where they they uh, they combined to, to, to uh, score 71 points, umpteenth, a whole bunch of rebounds, and it was just a real old-school type of big matchup that we were, that the, um, that the league... Uh, uses in a lot of their propaganda films back in from like, you know, the David Robinson versus Shaq, um, the Kareem versus um, uh, Wilt type matchups. It, it reminded me of a throwback of sort is what I'm saying to you. And it got me wondering, man, just like how we value big men in the current age and what do they mean right now? And so when I watched those games, I just, I saw 
the importance of a big uh, watch the game of uh, between Embiid and uh, and Jokic. Just it was just like kind of a breath of fresh air to see two big men evolved in the space, shooting threes, and also having a um, having a uh, a more well rounded game, but still be a big man as their identity. And I, and I was just wondering, like, how did we get here, Raja? Where we go through, you know, the nineties and the eighties are like the, the golden era of big men where, you know, you have the Tim Duncans, you have the David Robinsons, the Shaquille O'Neal's, the Pat Ewing's. Um, and then you go into the, uh, the two thousands where, excuse me, Hakeem Olajuwon, don't let me disrespect, um, all these bigs where they're back to the basket bigs. They, um, they're going to punish you in the paint. And then we, you know, in the early two thousands, the the sh- the shacks and you know the Elijah Wands and the, and all those guys they kind of phase out and you have this new big man that's kind of a weird era where like uh, Dwight Howard is um, you know a six nine center and you know we we kind of like I guess we legislated the big out of that but now that's given way to this new big man like the Giannis's and the and the Embiid's and the and these guys that are super skilled and um, but you played in all these how do we get from point A which is you know the the will and the Kareem's down to the David <laughs> Robinson's and the Shacks to where we are now with these fully formed, skilled big men who now play not only in the paint, but uh, around the three-point line as well. It's a big question. Forgive me, the, the, no pun intended, but it is a big question. It's got a pretty convoluted answer, but I'll try. There are a lot of factors that go into how we, we got to here. First and foremost, I think, was the evolution of the NBA rules. Um Mm-hmm. And bigs at the time of the MJs and the Dominiques and the Larry Birds um, and other great stars were not only offensive weapons, but they were defensive um, uh, um, caution signs for anyone trying to be in that paint. And they were allowed to basically operate in there with with free reign of hammering you and making it very punitive to be in that space and you having to weigh the pluses and minuses, risk versus reward of going in there and catching 12 stitches across your eye, a la, a la Carl Malone and, um, and Isaiah Thomas, right? Like, like we're going to really make you pay for being in here in a way that protects the paint. And so the league, as scoring obviously became what sold tickets and, and it became you know about these, these dollars, TV dollars, like they had to legislate some of that out. Right. And so as that starts to happen, um, that big burly, less skilled, if you will, big, there were some really skilled ones, but like less overall skill, you would have bigs on your roster that didn't have the skill set of like a McHale or somebody like that. They were there just as enforcers. Like they became less, less advantageous to have because you know, they couldn't do what they do. They couldn't just be out there being hitmen. And, and banging you around like those, those became flagrants and kickouts of games and, and so on and so forth. Like they were trying to weed that out of the game. So that, that, that was, I think the start of it. And the second part of it was when the analytic wave came in and the devaluation of the three point shot, I mean, of the, of the mid range shot, like when mm-hmm. you had, when you had those bigs on the court, again, it's very difficult to get into the, the paint to score. Some of the greats could do it, but a lot of people made their living in the mid range um, not having to go in there, like as MJ evolved as a player, right? Like less forays to the rim where he was getting hammered and more, yo, I'm just going to fade and knock down this mid range too, because it's, it's healthier for me to do that. It's more sustainable. So as that, you know, as, as that starts getting weeded out of the game, right. Then 
the valuation of layups and 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 threes increase, right? And to get those, we've got to get bodies out of the paint. Mm-hmm. We've got to get bodies out of the paint to allow, you know, enough true layups to take place. Because when I got two bigs hanging out in there, like it's almost impossible to get there to get the layup. Um, and that takes away a three-point shooter from the equation. So now let's see if I can get four guys outside with maybe one big, right? Making it easier yeah. to get in the paint, one less body and another three-point shooter. And then it's just evolved from that to where we're now like, fuck it. Let's get them all out of there. We're yeah. going to have a wide open paint so anyone can get to the rim if they can. And and now we've got five virtual three-point threats. When you're playing on a team with like an Embiid and a Jokic at the five, you got five people that can get you that prize three-point shot um, and keep the floor open in a way that you can get that, that, that highly valued two-point shot. So there was a lot of stuff that went into that. And then the training of the big because of that is the, is the icing on the cake, right? Like that's, yeah. that's what, well, that's what's produced these guys, like as they've grown into an era of basketball that values different things, they are trained differently. So, you know, when you come into my practice now, when we don't go bigs and smalls, when like we don't go bigs and smalls in practice. We I we work them all together. Mm, we work okay, them, yeah. at the youth level. We work them all together because back in the day, it used to be like, yo, if you're a big, you're gonna go on the other side of the court, shoot free throws, and then do fucking mic and drills and, and do post up drills, right? When yeah, I'm in when in I'm day. in college, bigs go down to work with two coaches on one end, and they get all their skill work in, and guards go down to the other end, and we get all our skill work in, and they're com- two completely different skill sets. And so, you know, we'll do that for our, for our, um, for our indie period of practice. And then we come together and we play as a team. I mean, in the NBA, we were still doing that bigs and smalls, like bigs down here, smalls down here, you know? And so, I, I mean, while they still may do that in places, increasingly at the youth level, people come into my program and they could be six, three in the sixth grade. They don't want to be a big. Yeah. They, they, they want to be trained as a guard. And so, I find the approach of training guards and bigs together and giving them both skill sets to be the best way to do it. Right. Cause guards can post, yeah. but you don't have to be a big to post. You get an advantage. You go in there and, and get to work, but they all want to be trained as guards. How much of that has to do with, and I think you're a part of this, or at least your team was you're, you're a part of history, Raja with the, the Phoenix suns um, and, and, and how they kind of helped not legislate the big man out. They absolutely didn't, but um, doing that, but how did how do you think that from a human element you t- you you touched on something really poignant where these kids are they don't want to be quote unquote bigs they want to be guards and a lot of it has to do with what is propagated by the league in terms of what they what sells right and at least when I was growing up the best players or the best ones that were sold every time were guards and or players like Dirk Nowitzki, who was a big that can shoot and was a very skilled big, right? Or even before that, who Dirk Nowitzki was was uh, influenced by is Michael Jordan, who was a six six guard, right? How much of that when we're because you know I look at Sports Illustrated articles from the '60s and stuff, the big men was king. It was Will right. Chamberlain. It was George Mikan. It was um, no threes. The closer you could get to the basket, the better. Exactly. Th- four threes a game, right? How much uh, How much of Jordan's impact in those 90s, um, those 90s teams and even Allen Iverson and, and Kobe Bryant and Tracy McGrady, how much did that 
really influence how the current crop of players see the game and want to play the game? From an overall perspective or from a positional perspective in terms of the larger players? Well, I think uh, from a positional perspective to the larger players, because I, no matter what, smaller guy, smaller players in, in general are going to be guards. And yeah, well, so here's what I like to do, and it's it's tough, but I had this conversation with a guy last night when you know his son was at a, a 707 football practice. Um, he's like 13, he's 6'3". Um, and I have a really good eighth grade team that I was trying to, you know, talk to him about playing on. And he was like, well, you know, everywhere we've taken him, they want him to be a big and he's not going to be a big, like he's going to be about six, five, which makes him a wing. And what I said to him was like, we, what we need to do, at least in my estimation, big picture is reframe the way we talk about like the game. Let's not even use big, let's just make him a basketball player, right? Let's just, let's, let's not talk about a guard versus a forward versus a center who gives a shit. We're all out mm-hmm. there on the same court playing basketball. So like, let's, let's get all skill sets to a point where if I ask you as a smaller statured player to go down on the block because the person guarding you is that much smaller than you because we have an advantage there, you have the capability of doing that, right? Or Mm -hmm. if because you're a larger and longer player, you have someone guarding you who's not as fleet of foot and he can't stick with you out on the perimeter, you have the skill set to go out there and give us an advantage and, and cook, you know, in that space. And so, like looking at it through the lens of positionless, like I'm not labeling anyone, I think is it, it's kind of important if you're going to be successful today. But as far as MJ and those guys shaping the way the longer, more like bigger body player plays, it's what it's what you see. It's what's being marketed to you. You know, it's what's being promoted. And so, you know, when 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 scoring is at a premium, and we got into this era of having all these wings that were that were getting buckets and and the flashiness was the crossovers and the ball handling and all of that was, you know, MJ's time. It wasn't all about the ball handling. It was about like the scoring. If you watch Kobe play, he wasn't an electrifying ball handler. Yeah. He was an assassin scoring the ball, but that's what he watched. Like Mike was a scorer, not like a, not like a magician with the ball, but you know, as Allen Iverson and dudes started coming up and the crossover became like, we started yeah. getting into an era of scoring plus entertainment and having that thing on a string. And, you know, that became intoxicating to a lot of people, you know, like big, bigger players included. So you wind up with dudes that want to, that want to explore all those skill sets. Um, and that's how you get an Embiid who can dance on the ball and, and, you know, and, and, and people like that, um, that are just training to do things that, they would not have been allowed to do in, in another era. They would have been put on the block and asked to just bang away. Um, the other thing that happened was you touched on the Suns, you know, from a defensive perspective, when we played, um, you know, Yao Ming and Shaq, um, obviously were two of the opponents that we had to play before we traded for Shaq. In most of those, in most of the games that we played Yao, Yao had to come out um, early yeah. in the first quarter and was not an impact on any game we played that I can remember against against Houston because he couldn't guard out in space. He was just too big. And he would literally, we would watch tape and it would be like a joke of him going from free throw line to free throw line as the pace of the game just was too quick for him to ever catch up to be an impact around the rim. So the very place that you have him for, he can't ever get to it because we're flying, you know, and you can't, and he can't play out in space. And so the year that the, the, the year that we lost in the Western conference finals, to the Mavericks, the reason why a lot of us on that team thought it was our best chance to win a championship was because we were going to see the Heat in the finals. And the Heat wound up beating the Mavericks that year. Um, but, 06, 05, yeah, 06. Right, but we had 
blown the doors off of the Heat twice that year because while Shaq was great, they they couldn't use him in the way that they needed to because it was it was too much pace and putting him out in the space was just leaving Steve Nash. You run a pick and roll with Shaq and he's standing back in the lane and Steve Nash is coming off of it. What's he doing? You, bro, they, like if you're going to see, it, that's so cold because if you see either Shaq's going to lay out because remember back in the day, Shaq wouldn't even a he wouldn't even show on a pick and roll. He'd be like, no, nah, I'm, I'm staying in the paint. So yeah. that means Nash is going to shoot a three and he's going to make it more than he's not. Correct. He's going he's gonna to blow your doors off that way. Or in the case of Shaq does show, Steve's going right by him. It's over. It's not, it's not even a question. Yeah, putting them in space, like with, with a team like ours that was playing scaled down size-wise and keeping the floor open, highlighted to some degree the need for a different kind of a larger player. Yeah. You know, like that, that big, now you could still, if you could get us to slow it down and you'd have to be really good about grinding the game down and putting it inside. I'm not saying that people weren't successful at times, but over the course of time, we didn't allow too many people to do that. So people started seeing the need for, you know, more fluid uh, bodies out there. Sure. And it's interesting because you, um, when you first got in the league in the, in the, uh, the old one, the old one season, you, it's uh, it's it's during well, like during a time when uh, Batumbo is traded to guard Shaq. Right? Completely like different. Traded. Completely, and, yeah. And in a four-year period, it complete. When did you start to see that change, though, Rob? Where like you're coming from the Sixers team that's like, okay, we are here to stop Shaquille O'Neal and other bigs, and this is 01. We're talking about 0506, which is a four or five-year gap. It's not that long in time where the the game completely turns itself on its head. When did you start to see the seeds of that? Yes, Shaq dominant force in 01. Um, literally, just physically dominated in, in, in the paint. And, you know, Dikembe was defensive player of the year and he was putting, they changed rules because of what he was doing to Dikembe in that series, just physically, you know, dislodging him from the post and putting him in the bucket. Like it was crazy. And there's no disrespect to Matumbo because Matumbo is one of the greatest one-on-one defensemen of all time. One of the greatest shot blockers of all time. Deke was giving and up Jack 85 pounds. <laughs> yeah. Like, what do you mean, man? Like Larry Brown told me to go down and double Shaq one time. I went down and I put two arms, two hands hard on his forearm while he had the ball. And he took me, the ball and everything up to the rim with him. Yeah. I'm like, what? I mean, what am I supposed to do with that? So at that time, clearly everyone, you had the, you had a bunch of bigs on every team. Um, I think as I got to Dallas, it was that it was two years later when you saw Dirk at the four, right? And Dirk at the four was my first, it it didn't happen just like that though, because the league was still, we still had, you know, Sean Bradley out there and, you know, you had, you know, Evan Eschmeyer and there were still bigs, you know, I think I want to say David Robinson was David Robinson still, still playing. I mean, there were still a lot of bigs like Vlade and Chris, Chris Weber were a duo. Like you still had two teams with two bigs, but Dirk's ability to kind of stretch that floor a little bit. And I think Don Nelson, this was just me. I mean, the league, other teams might've been doing it, but this was my exposure to it. Nelly would play at times, Walt Williams at the four, right? And you'd go Mm -hmm. with like Steve Nash, um, Nick Van Exel at the two, Mike Finley at the three, Walt Williams at the four, and Dirk at the five. Like we were scaled all the way down and it was really, really hard to guard that shit. That was my first intro. Then I went back to Utah. And when I got to the Suns, 
And we were playing with with Sean Marion at the four, even though Trix didn't always love playing the four. It's what it, I always say that was kind of the secret sauce. But Trix at the four and Amari at the five, the league didn't catch up for a minute, but it was on and popping. Bro, I'm 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 as a as a viewer, as a young viewer watching that, I remember being like like thinking through old habits and just being like, yo, man, put a big down there. Fucking Amari Stoudemire, 6'9". Just put a big down there. They'll dunk on. Why is this happening? It was just in real time of like, you guys really turned the league on its heads because of that. What was that like the first training camp? You're in, you're in, um, you're in Phoenix and you're like, oh shit, this is not the basketball I grew up watching. And this is not the bad. We're going to, this is some new shit. When did you get to that point? Immediately. I sat with Mike, um, Colangelo, um, um, David Griffin. We were at dinner, my wife, their wives, we were all sitting there and Mike kind of pulled me back from the table a little bit, sat back in his chair. And he said something to me about how many threes had been vacated by the departure of Quinn Richardson and, and Joe Johnson and told me at the table that these, that whatever the number was, it was a, a couple hundred threes that I needed to shoot this year. And I was coming off of years of shooting like 45 threes. I was like, brother, I don't even know what that, what that means. No coach has ever told me that he needs me to get up a set amount of threes. Like, I don't, I don't know if I can accommodate that, but he was pretty, the way he said it to me, I was like, okay, let's, let's rock. So were then, you at that point already really quickly before you get back to that, that dinner, were you already at a point where you were transitioning into the, what we know now as a three and D guy, were you strictly no. a defender at that point? Where were you? At that point, I was a young defensive minded player who in a, in a situation in Utah that was kind of, you know, wide open because of the departure of, 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 of uh, Stockton and Malone, we were all asked to do different things offensively and explore who we were. So if you look at highlights of me in that Utah year, I did shoot threes, but I also got dunks, you know, like I also posted up, I played out of pick and roll. I did a lot of things offensively in Utah. So I wasn't sure exactly who I was, I, I definitely was not a three point shooter. I would have never identified as a three point shooter at that point. Cause that's, I was shooting 30 to 43s a year. Most of my stuff was done, you know, in other ways, the way I had done it in college. But as we got into pickup games um, and Mike articulated where he wanted me on the floor and how he wanted me to run the floor, I remember getting to the corner and being maybe three and a half feet lifted out of the corner. To me, that had been the corner my whole life. And Mike D'Antoni stopped it and was like, I need you in the corner. And, you know, I'm like, okay, well, I mean, where am I? And he's like, no, the corner is there. And he pointed like a foot and a half further into the corner, like almost in line with the backboard. You know what I mean? And he was adamant about like, this is how we have to space this floor. Get to that spot, not three feet above that. Like that started to shape the way I ran the floor, the way I, the way I saw we were going to play. And then as the ball started to find me within pickup games, and within the first few days of practice, you start to realize where you're going to get your opportunities. And I was going to get a bunch of threes if I just ran like hell um, and, you know, shot when I was open. And so it just more, it kind of morphed right into that pretty quickly. Who was the tallest guy on your Phoenix Suns team on that, during that time? Who was the um, biggest person that was on your roster? I mean, we had, we had Brian Grant one year. I mean, these are all like 6'10 um, people. Like you have Brian Grant, you know, Amari, I think is 6'10". We had Kurt Thomas and Tim Thomas. Boris is 6'8". Like, those would be our biggest guys. Like, we weren't walking around with, with I can't remember if we had seven footers. I mean, Sean Marks was a long, long, a long, uh, probably 6'10", 6'11". Like, those were our biggest players. 
And so, like, when you're getting to this, how did you have to, like, you're a guard in this, during this renaissance, you kind of spoke on how you had to adjust your game a little bit in terms of spacing, but, like, how did your ideology change knowing that, like, okay, I'm not playing with a super big person at this point. It's no longer... I'm going to throw it into the post and I'm going to get it right back and shoot off of it. It's now like, I need to find spacing. The ball will now find me. How do you, how do you fix your brain to, cause your whole life you're seeing, this is how you play basketball. This is how you play right. basketball. And you see this coach who's an innovator, Mike D'Antoni, like, nah, like this is how we're going to play basketball. Now in your mind, did you have to get out of your own way in a lot of ways of what you thought basketball was to what it was becoming? Oh, well, certainly. And it, I would say, it was less on the offensive end and more on the defensive end because you're always used to funneling to some degree your your player, at least in 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 the Sean Bradley days or the Dikembe Mutombo days and, and stuff. You're funneling them to him and you know that he's there. Right. And so, you know, the the other thing was if they're not there, the league was like, hey, knock his ass down, make him get up and shoot free throws. And Mike was adamant. I fouled someone on the break once and he jumped in my shit about fouling someone on the break. And I, you know, again, this was Jerry Sloan's message to me. Jerry Sloan might've played me more than he should have based on my <laughs> skill level, just because he yeah. knew I would run down there and tackle someone and not give him a layup. But it's what he put stock in. And so when you Mike was such was, a Jerry Sloan guy, Oh my God, I such love a Jerry. Jerry Sloan guy. I, I, I love Jerry Sloan, bro. Love him. Um, to this, so when Mike's telling me, "Hey, let him make that layup. If you have to foul him, we'll just get it out and we'll get three on the other end." I'm like, "Wait, wait a minute! You're crazy! Like that makes no sense that we're just gonna give him these two points." But again, as we get into preseason, as we are scrimmaging with live refs and we have our our our, our inner squad, and this is bearing fruit now because you know I'm allowing the layup. And I'm turning and I'm burning and I'm getting to the corner and I'm in pistol action with Steve and I flip it back to Steve and I come off of this flare screen and Steve whips the overhead pass to me and I'm sitting on a three and I cash out and now we're up six, four because I hit two threes and I gave you two free layups. I'm like, oh shit. Yeah. There's something to this. So offensively, like it clicked right away because I was scoring more points than I had ever scored. I was getting more shots than I had ever gotten. So that's an easy one. Hey, you don't have to convince me of that. Defensively, it took me a minute. Okay. And then it's interesting because when I see, you know, the Phoenix Suns who are this avatar for change and you guys get beaten by the Spurs, sorry, Raja, but you guys, you guys lose to the Spurs who are definitely going through their own transitional period. We talked about this with Tim Duncan on the pod a few years ago where the Spurs had to change because of you guys had to change their whole ideological approach, how they see the game. Was it kind of wild to see them like change on the fly while beating you at your own game where you have a guy like Tim Duncan, who is the modern big that can adjust to this type of game. And you're like, well, what the fuck? This is supposed to be all our time to do this. And then the Spurs kind of figure it out, but with a more traditional type big man, I wouldn't necessarily say they beat us at our own game. They beat us, um, but they weren't doing it exactly like we were doing it. They, they, you know, they had, they had some issues like, and that was going to be our Achilles heel um, would be, you know, our, our interior defense and our, our, our stoutness on that side of the court. They had a lot of pieces that if you look back, like, and I'm, you know, I'm just keeping it a buck. Like I was a decent NBA player, man. I'm, I played for a decade um, and more. I averaged 10 points a game in the NBA, double figures. Like people try to clown, you know, all the time, but 
I wasn't bad. I led the league in threes. I was all defense team a couple years. I wasn't fucking Manu Ginobili though. Hmm. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like they had yeah. players. I wasn't Mike Finley and Mike Finley was over there. You know, I think they, they, we had good players. I think, you know, they got, you got Tony Parker, you got Manu Ginobili, you got, you got Tim Duncan. Um, you know, Robert Ori was still doing things. Mike, you had Michael Finley to the mix. Bruce Bowen is an elite defender. Like they had personnel that was really good. And mm -hmm. They had a lot of experience in situations like that. Um, those those series were like right there. They just beat us. It wasn't necessarily how we were doing it, but the reason they beat us is because they were good. They had really good players. They were really well coached. Um, they had more experience in those moments, and they quite frankly executed just slightly better than us in some of those moments. Now there was, was there some luck shit. Yeah, there was some some like you know that that BS with Robert Ori and 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 Boris and Stat coming off the bench and the suspensions like. No one can account for that. The three that Tim Duncan hit to send it into overtime, <laughs> like <laughs> he had, it was his only three of the entire year. Dog. That that was luck. I loved him. That was luck. Tim Duncan was the king of the lucky bullshit shot. The three at the end of the game when he, like you just referenced, I'm thinking about, remember the 04 Fisher shot? People don't forget, people forget before Derek Fisher hit that shot with 0.4 seconds, this motherfucker, Tim Duncan, hit a fadeaway shot over Shaquille O'Neal that was, I think, did, he banked it in. It was some, it was the wildest shit. Tim had great luck, bro. It was, well, he's it, a goat. I mean, listen, yeah. I don't mean to diminish his skill. No, not level. at all. I would never, I would never do that. But, I mean, if you, like, Tim was having a hard time in that series being consistent from the free throw line. Mm. Real talk. So, yeah. to think that, like, it wasn't lightweight fluky that he just caught a ball, looked left, looked right, had nowhere to go with it, and then just made his only three of the season. If you're telling me that's what they drew up, like, uh, that's bullshit. No, it's it's not as a, it's probably more annoying when the guy that's one of the best of all time gets the luck. You know oh what I'm God. saying? He was as opposed a, to just the one that's trash that gets the luck at the end. It's like, okay, you make everyone right. But like, just to have the goat of Tim Duncan have the luck that Tim Duncan had has to be frustrating. It, it is hella frustrating. Tim, Tim Duncan and I are from the same place, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And Tim is the face of the Virgin Islands, rightfully so. But, and friend of the show. Shout out to Tim. And, and friend. You love Tim. But you would be like, come on, man. You know I want to beat Tim for a lot of reasons, right? Like, I want to I want to beat Tim, man. Like, I'm a competitor. I was I was there in camp with San Antonio. They didn't keep me. They, there are a lot of reasons that I want to beat the Spurs. Go back and look at, listen to the archives or listen to the Tim Duncan archives on our interview. You're a yeah. spur. He, he, he said you're a spur and you embody, and that's a big mistake. So I just want to put that out there for the record. No, I appreciate that. And Papa and I have had a lot of conversations about that. But in, in, in reality and in retrospect, I was not ready to be an NBA player. I had more seasoning you know, I was not going to be able to contribute to them in a way that they needed me to contribute, but that's neither here nor there. Why, why I say all that is when you talk about Tim's luck and it being Tim that hits the shot and shit like that. I remember shooting a three in the corner across from our bench in, you know, early in one of those games, big playoff game. And I let that shit go. And it might've been the best feel of a shot leaving my hands in my career, I shit you not. You know when that the shit is cash. You know you see Steph turn around like better better than those um them shots you be sending me from their backyard. Like better, dude, you know when you're feeling yourself and the fucking Nori is playing. Listen, this is how good it was because I don't talk shit when I play. I don't. I just shoot it and I keep it moving. But when yeah. this one left my hand, it felt so good. On Tim was <laughs> Tim was on a closeout, and I said to Tim something to the effect of like, "Yeah, too late." Like, you know what I mean? As I let it oh, go, which was so, shit. 
so out of character for me. That shit went and popped out. And Tim said something to the effect. I can't say it's not, it, it, I can't remember it verbatim. Like, yeah, you should make sure it goes in before you say something, before you run your mouth or something like that. I'm like, fucking Tim Duncan. He's even getting lucky on my shots. I know, bro. Also, bro, it was Tim that played you. And also I was watching a, com- uh, a curse, the Christmas game I referenced in the last episode, the 2007, or it, it might've been. But anyway, this motherfucker, Kobe, hits you, and you're playing great defense, Raja. You're playing great defense. He hits you with a gotcha, and it goes in. And I'm like, what the fuck? (laughs) Do you remember that? Do you remember that? (laughs) He said, I'll send you the clip. He shoots the shot from the wing and goes, gotcha, and it goes in. It you don't need awesome. to send me the clip, motherfucker. I don't need okay, the clip. Sorry. Okay, I'll send you the clip. <laughs> I don't need the, the clip. clip. He was super uh, frustrating because, like, we're just on memory lane now. Pod listeners, I hope you enjoy a memory lane pod because we're on it. If, if you try to defend an elite player, wide receiver, mm-hmm. offensive player in basketball, or offensive player in soccer or any sport like that, where it's like head to head and you got to stay in front of someone, I don't give a damn who you are. If eventually, given enough time, it's impossible to stay in front of them. Ask any cornerback in the league. If Bruh. if there is not a, a, a count and, and a time limit on that, eventually the receiver gets open because you can't guard mm-hmm. him for that long. So Co- Kobe, you know, so I get a lot of shit because yeah, Kobe mixed me up and got a bunch of buckets and, and all of that stuff. I would just say this. There were a lot of times where I played that man perfectly. Yeah. I mean, to a T, perfectly, textbook, and he still cashed that shit out. <laughs> he still, and he still cashed it out. So there was, I mean, what do you do at that point, Logan? Like you, you, you have done everything. Uh, beat him to the spot. Uh, beat him to the spot. Uh, didn't go for the head fake. Uh, stayed down. Uh, high hand contest. He's fading away. You're right there yeah. with him. And that shit is in the bottom of the net. I mean, my God. I remember, dog, not even Kobe, but I'm thinking about the, the I'm thinking about Kevin Durant and watching him play and just like remembering that he's seven, he's seven feet tall. And like people that were really, really good defending him played him to a T and it didn't matter, bro. It didn't even affect him. Dirk Dirk was like that too. Um, yeah. where you could play them. And because they're so long and they've got that high release and it's slightly fading away, it didn't matter. See, I didn't get mad at those. They didn't bother okay. me. When Kevin Durant scored on me. You're 6'11", I'm 6'5". It's going to happen. Like, I, I shit. I mean, it is. Kobe was my size. I know. So it becomes, it becomes like even more frustrating when you see someone who should not, mm-hmm. he shouldn't, like in theory, be able to make that if you do everything right. But because he's Kobe, he makes it. Like... <laughs> It's tough. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. 
They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two for five dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. Turn every Thursday into payday with TNT Thursdays on FanDuel Sportsbook. It doesn't matter if you win or lose, FanDuel is giving all customers $10 in bonus bets every Thursday. Just bet $10 or more on same game parlay on any NBA on TNT game. Same game parlays let you combine the money line, point spread, player props, and more all into one wager. Yo, we got a dope slate on the Turner games for Thursday night. Grizzlies Cavaliers. I'm going to take the over on that. Y'all know me. And then the nightcap Clippers Bucks. I think I'm going to take the under. Why not? That's the vibe I'm getting. So start building your own or just bet a popular same game parlay already made for you in America's number one sports book. And win or lose, you're guaranteed to get $10 added to your account. If you're new to FanDuel, just sign up with promo code RINGERNBA. Get $10 back every Thursday, win or lose with TNT Thursdays. Exclusively on the FanDuel app, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 plus in select states, first online real money wager only, refund issued as a non-withdrawable free bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Got a gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com backslash RG. In Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia, 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 Arizona 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in Connecticut 1-800-9-WITH-IT Indiana 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas 1-877-0-STOP Louisiana visit mdgamblinghelp.org Maryland 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 New York, 1-800-522-4700 Wyoming or visit www.1800gambler.net West Virginia. So let's get back to the big men conversation. I want to talk about the future of it. When I, I want to get back to that Jokic and Bede game and that matchup. When you see those two play to, against each other, Mm-hmm. In terms of history, we talked about in the beginning of this episode, what do you see in those guys that have kind of taken the baton? Because I think now we are back in, or at least back into one, or we're starting another big man golden age, man, where at least we have those guys that have taken all of the things. Like, I feel like the Dwight Howard who was a really good center and should be a hall of famer. I feel like that era though, where big men were kind of figuring out their place again in the game because a lot of the stuff that they did well was legislated out. And I think now when you see Joel Embiid and you see Jokic, you see a guys that are there. T- they took all those lessons and then they have also applied the lessons of the big men before them, like the Shaquille O'Neal and the Wilt Chamberlains and the David Robinsons. And they've become to, and they have evolved to a point where they can be all of those things encompassing, shoot the threes, get into the paint, dunk on you. And and it's it's like a very a way more, it's like the big man 2.0 right now. What do you see in, in this current crop of big men um, like a Joel Embiid and like a Jokic that have pushed the game forward? I mean, it's just a continuation of the skill development and the ability to to play anywhere on the floor with the ball in your hands. Um, in some points, be the facilitator and main main conduit to offense. Um, you know, Chris Webber and Vlade were good at that too. But 
So I, I don't know that these two started it necessarily, but they're certainly carrying the torch. You know, you could play through, you can play through Jokic just all night long, and and they do at a lot of points, and he facilitates. And Joel uh, has a great ability to do that too. I think he's physically more gifted, and you know can can beat you with size and strength and athleticism as well as as craft and headiness and skill. Um, I think if you made me pick one, I would say that. Jokic is the is the craftier of the two only because he's got to be, you know, he he can't just physically overwhelm you the way that Embiid can. So he's always got to play from a from a craft and a and a and a and a cheeky kind of like perspective where where Embiid can, but there are times where he's just like, "Yo, I'm too big, too fast, too strong, too athletic. I can get this when I when I want it." Um so I think what it does is it just continues to push the envelope for what what a what a bigger player is looked upon to do in offense it's going it changes the way we train it changes the way these kids train look at Victor Webb Webbanyama or whatever his name is like Wemby Wemby I mean yeah I like that let's go with Wemby but uh, yeah he like Wemby look at Bull Bull I mean Bull Bull's yeah. averaging like 11 a game but draw the juxtaposition from Bull Bull to Minute Bull yeah and and look at that now Minute shot threes towards the end of his career but this damn Bull Bull is like on the break, pushing it down. I think the floor. that's the, I think that's the KD influence, though. I think that's the KD influence going into the Giannis influence, and we don't really speak about KD as a big man because more he doesn't like to be. I don't think he likes to be put into that box, but I do feel like he is the evolution of. Well, you're six, of that. you're six, ten, six, eleven. I mean. And same with same with Giannis, but I feel like the younger guys are starting to see that, and you start to see the manifestation of a bowl bowl, and like even I think about like James Wiseman who has watched who watches Giannis and got kind of those early comparisons like in his career fair or not. But like those, that's what they see growing up. Those two guys of like, Oh, I want to be like that. That's the example I see as a big man now. Yeah. I really, I really love, um, I always had an affinity for affinity for, and this is personal taste. Like it's got, you know, everyone likes to look at things a certain way and appreciates something, um, in a way, you know, that's kind of unique to them. I love to see, the passing ability of the bigs. I just, I think it's, it's a pretty thing to watch those bigs who in my era weren't asked to do that, pick you apart mentally. I, I, I just, it's, it's fun to watch. It was super fun for, for me to watch C Webb and, and Vlade pass the shit out of it. And Sabonis also want to put Shaq in there too. Shaq too. Yeah. But I, you know, I, I often don't give Shaq enough credit for that because he was such a physical offensive force at the rim but yes Shaq as well so like I really appreciate watching that and I just the, the biggest forever changed until until one of them suckers comes back if they ever do and just dominates and is too big and punishes people on the block and a team wins doing that and when a team if if and when a team wins doing it like that, there, there's going to be another shift. That's why I'm rooting for Embiid because I think Embiid, as a with the roster construction and just where he is in the Eastern Conference, I think he's the one with the chance. But he needs, I don't, I don't know what he needs in that. But I think that he's the one that can carry that torch uh, for that. Because if Giannis, Giannis already won a title, but like he's not considered the big, even though he is in the traditional sense, even though he is a big, don't get it twisted. But like, he's not considered that in the way that Embiid is like Embiid. If he wins a title, he'll be that guy. And here's what will be interesting if that happens, right? If Embiid throughout the playoff run makes a lot of his money in the more traditional big areas of the floor, if that's where he is doing the most damage 
And that proves to win a championship if it bears itself out as such. What domino falls with what team in terms of tweaking the roster to counter that? And the domino effect that that sets off around the league in terms of people modeling it to try to stop it. And whether that swings the pendulum back to having more support defensively to counter that. Can you dig what I'm saying? Because it just takes one thing to happen to start that that domino effect. Well, the question I have all the time is like, and I, and I see this with the with the Warriors, like because everybody followed them a lot. I've seen that with like when remember the Lakers of the 2010s had Bynum and Gasol, right? Gasol's another one who's a great big who can pass, but um, mm-hmm. it's always a league trying to copy that model. Why does it always have to be the league is racing to copy a model and and just going instead of going with personnel that can stop it or like going with personnel like. For instance, when you went to the Knicks in the 90s, you knew that what the, what type of team that was and identity that was, right? And they were that identity no matter what. Why does it seem like everyone is trying to follow a certain blueprint to win instead of just finding their own? I guess is my question. Why is it always like that in terms of trends? And some of it's probably based in bravery, like you're stepping out on your own. I mean, you would have to have a lot of support from ownership. It would have to go right relatively quick for you to be able to sell to someone who's paying you a lot of money that, hey, I'm the only one doing it this way and it's not currently working. And he's looking at you like, well, like I invested a lot of money for you to be sitting here telling me it's not working when all of those dudes are doing it this way. And it seems that seems to be working. So yeah. I think safe route probably plays some part in it. Um and people are but trying I, to keep their jobs. Let's keep it a buck. People are trying right. to keep their jobs and make a living for their family. Absolutely. I mean, that's for sure. That's first and foremost. But secondly, um, I do think that people are doing it in their own way um, with within a new look. Like it's not all the same, right? But it's within this new complexion of the way the game is being played. So no, there aren't the two bigs and stuff like that. But every general manager, while while operating kind of in this new look is doing it in a different, a different way, you know, but you know, so, I mean, life is when you find success, like people are looking, you know, to copy that and, and then, and then make it even better. Right. So if you see something that works, you're like, shit, I can take that. I can spin it and I can throw this on top of it. And now look what I got. It, it's just, it's, it's very interesting. How have you seen it on the, on the youth level? Like what are, what are big men doing on the youth level? And are you happy with, cause you, you kind of have an inside track of what the trends are going to be. What, what do you see on that level of where, where we are from a big man perspective? Here's my problem with the big man on the youth level. And I've dealt with it. Um, you know, on multiple teams I've coached. My problem with the big man on the youth level isn't that they want to explore their skill sets and and uh, shoot threes at times and be out in space. Um, it's, and even to some degree, handle the ball, right? Like, but it's the reluctance to do things that have to be done on the court. Wants to do all of the things out on the perimeter, but doesn't want to do any of the things that the bigger player on the court is best suited to do, i.e. rebounding, um, uh, you know, protecting the rim. Like smaller players just aren't equipped in some instances to do that. I don't have to post you up and make you a yeah. back to the basket player, but there is still your fair share and amount of rebounding and dirty work that has to be done. Yours just looks different than, than a smaller player's. Like I'm going to ask a smaller player to get up, hound the shit out of the ball, be in passing lanes, take charges. Like that's how he sacrifices. You can be an offensive, like unicorn, 
But this is still a game that demands us rebounding the ball and protecting the rim. And so you got to do that. And far too often in the youth, in the youth world, um, these AAU programs to get the better player off of maybe a smaller team. If that player is a, is a long player, they just acquiesce to all parent demands, which is like, put the ball in my six, eight, seventh graders hands and just let him be the point guard. And that's okay. Except you're not helping that kid when he can't rebound and he has no like motor and he won't go down there and get physical, you know, on the defensive end, no one's saying they don't have to, they can't have the offensive, you know, weaponry, but there's still things that have to be done. And so that's what I try to do with my kids. Hey, listen, bro, I don't care how we get buckets. I'm, I'm an advantage play. I'm an advantage coach. Wherever we got it, that's how we're going to get it. Like, I'll teach mm-hmm. you all how to be guards. I'll teach you all how to post up. In the heat of a game, though, and we're trying to win, we're going to play out of an advantage. But if you're a larger player on my team, by the nature of being on a team and having a role, your ass is asked to do some things around the basket defensively, and it, it, you got to do it. Yeah, it's for the team. For the team. For the team. Yeah. Oh man, no! This is this is this is very enlightening because it's just like a, you know, when I'm watching those games, like you know, it's fun to see a big post up and also shoot threes and just be a big. It's just it's fun, and I and I don't I don't I, I don't want to get away from that as a game, and I know that we're evolving past that, but like man, I want it to be just. I, I miss just having the balance in our game. No, I feel that I like I like it. I like my bigger player getting it off the rim and me telling my guards, Hey, we don't need to wait for no outlet. Like this kid can push. It's our advantage. He's got it. We're flying. Go. Or Ra, we don't see, we see the big go to the three point line or we don't teach our guards anymore to just reward the big anymore. He's running, he's running as fast as he can. Give him the fucking ball on a fast break. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know how other people teach it, but I, my big, my, my bigger player still rim runs. Like I need you, I need you to put a threat on the rim. Cause those are cheap, easy ones. So my guards, we got to look up the court. Now we do it with very, very levels of success, but I mean, you're going to run to that, to that rim and then we can get you out to the perimeter and play, but we got to pose a rim threat. Like, I, I mean, if we're not teaching, if we're not teaching people to fly and try to get layups, I mean, I'm sure there are far better coaches than me out there. That doesn't mean they have to stay in the post, but I mean, you should present some sort of threat at the rim in transition. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is a great Thursday discussion, Rob. Before we get out of here, you know what we got? Ooh, real one. Real one of the week. Let me go first. Oh, sh- all right. Yeah. Well, we're, let me let me let me uh, let me present it to the, me maybe Team we have new, new. All right. So we're about to do real one of the week, which we do every Thursday, where we point out a person, entity, an organization that won the week. Raja here said that he wants to do it first, so we're gonna give it to him first. Raja, who you want to make your real one of the week, sir? I mean, this is a tough one for me. I shouldn't have went first. <laughs> well, you literally. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't have went first. I was really you excited. Said, Move out of the way. I was really excited. I was really excited. All right. I'm giving it to a three people. Okay. Can I do that? Just let me allow me. I can do it's your show. I, it's I do your show. I, want. I got to start with Thomas Brady who just retired this morning. And while I never cheered for the Patriots, I've, I've been on record as saying when he left the Patriots and went to Tampa, um, I like a lot of people saw a different side of Tom Brady that made me root for him and endeared himself to me. And I became a fan. And so as the goat um, and he retired this morning, sidebar. I think that man played a whole extra season just to be able to say he retired on his own. That's a whole nother conversation. I think that man played a whole extra season of football just so he could announce his own retirement. I don't know if you saw the video. That was a rough watch. I hope he's yeah. okay. I hope he's doing all right. It's tough, but no, definitely real one, man. And we'll, we'll miss Tom Brady, but I got, I'm going to give it to, and I'll stay in the football world and I'll stay with QBs. 
Patty Mahomes on a high ankle sprain, which is uh, like super excruciating. Um, Joe Burrow's a bad man. Cincinnati was being picked by all the pundits and, you know, they just did what they had to do. Pat Mahomes showed why he's the best quarterback in the league right now, like gangster performance on one leg. Um, and I would be remiss. I would be remiss if I didn't throw my dog Jalen Hurts in there, even though he did not play great. He didn't have to play great. But the man has just continued to overcome all the odds. Like Bama, you know, doing it again at Oklahoma, playing well and not giving any credit in the draft, being selected, people talking all kind of shit when they said they were going to let Carson Wentz go to keep him. And where's he got his team? To the motherfucking Super Bowl. And like Pal San Antonio said in the pregame, say it again. Where are you guys at? We're going to the Super Bowl. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Not we, because I'm, I'm, I'm like Eagles adjacent, but we here. I got to say it. E-A-T-L-E-S, Eagles. We here. <laughs> so those are my real ones, bro. Damn, dog. You're going to like leave some for some, some, somebody my else, bad. dog. My, my your your my real bad. one is the quarterback position as, <laughs> as a whole. Mm. Well, shit, since you took off all the real ones, I'm going to go with this one, man. I'm going to go with Brianna Stewart, who is going yes, to the to New York Liberty, um, who, which we, which we kind of, we kind of elaborate. We, we, we kind of, did we, did we kind of break some news? <laughs> of the we kind of, because we was, we bit a, hey, what Chappelle said, we been on that. <laughs> we been on that. <laughs> so shout out to shout out to uh, the Liberties of Staff record label the crew, man. That's gonna be nice, dog. See Sabrina Unescu and um and uh and um Brianna Stewart go at it, man. That's gonna be fun, dog. Um, so uh yeah, man, that's my real one of the week. That was fun. That was it was a good one, man. We will see you, we will see you guys on Monday. Um, and Thursday, man, come holler at us. Make sure you come tap in with us. Also got to say this because we're going into All-Star Weekend. Come tap in with us at the state room. You get to see me and Ra-Ra together for the first time live. Mm. Also with the rest of our uh, Ringer NBA crew. Um, it's going to be at the state room in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah. And you go get your tickets at the uh, stateroom.com. Uh, we're going to do that on February 18th. Make sure you tap in. We'll see you guys there. Roger said he's going to give me a personal tour of every all of his little water holes. I don't know. And I'm kind of scared. And we'll see what happens. Uh, <laughs> so we'll see you guys on Monday, but we'll also see you guys February 18th, man. Talk to y'all soon, man. Holla. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.